Hi, welcome to the Dorsey Wright Weekly Podcast. My name is Ben Jones. And I'm David Clark. And I'm Tommy Doyle. And today is January 17th, 2018. Uh, today's topic, we're going to do kind of a hodgepodge, a potpourri of um, kind of a discussion where we're just going to walk you through kind of what we're seeing in the marketplace, especially as we continue to see U.S. equity markets really push higher. Before we get started, uh, just quick housekeeping issue here. We have saved the date. The Spring 2018 Point and Figure Institute is scheduled, and we have the dates for it. It's going to be May 3rd and 4th. Uh, this year in Las Vegas, Nevada. So that's our um, annual uh, broker institute in the spring that we hold out in Las Vegas. Uh, we'll have more details to come. Uh, for those of you who do subscribe to our research platform, you'll be able to see uh, you know, information about the agenda and a sign-up link that we'll post in the Daily Equity Report um, in the next week or two. So you'll put that on your calendar May 3rd and 4th. Um, it's always an informative uh, couple of days where we really cover um, all aspects of our research and methodology as well as our research platform giving you the ability to really you know, take hold and ownership of your business uh, as well as a methodology and ultimately apply it uh, to the way that you manage your clients' portfolios and manage risk accordingly using point and figure and using relative strength. So let's talk about point and figure and relative strength, guys. You know, where are we today? I mean, if we look at the charts, uh, whether it's the S&P 500, whether it's you know, any small cap index, mid cap index, we can even throw in international equities right now. Story is the same across the board. Which is? Overbought. Right, it's all we're seeing on on many of these charts. So, you know, even looking at the S and P 500's charts right now, you know, yesterday with uh, action on the 16th, you saw it rally up to that 2,800 level on the chart, put it about 134 percent overbought on its weekly distribution curve. Which, in the past couple of weeks, seeing over 100 percent overbought is definitely not something we I would say is out of unfamiliarity, and mm-hmm. that's definitely not unfamiliar, especially with the year we had in 2017. So. It's sort of one of those things that, in a way, we've been here before because we've seen the market be in this overbought stance. So, you know, I don't. I think one of the questions we often get is each time we see these markets move into overbought territory, they're like, "Okay, what's next? Okay. Is this it? You know, is this the point in which we might see, you know, something roll over? Or is it going to continue?" And ultimately, you know, for the past year, year and a half, we've seen these moves into overbought territory, consolidation, normalization, and uh, really a resumption of. Of a lot of the trends we continue to see. So it's forward. not such a bad thing. That we're no, about, right? not, not at no. all. That's more or less the and, point. Yeah. And one way that we kind of quantify that for you all is through the study that we look at with the WDSPX, or the weekly distribution for the S&P 500. What that's doing is rather than taking the index itself, it's looking at the constituents of the index and taking the average overbought, oversold level. And so for us, if you pull up that ticker on the Dorsey Wright platform in the top right, WDSPX, uh, you'll see that it just eclipsed 40% recently. Uh, and that's the first time since March of 2017 that it has done so. And that is, in fact, only the 22nd time since 2003 that we've seen this chart hit 40% or more. So, yes, things are overbought. Um, but if we take it a step further when we evaluate performance, Soon after we see it hit 40%, we see those things pull back and the overbought levels become more normally, quote-unquote, distributed. But uh, on average, we do see positive returns following that. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the market can't go higher, shouldn't go higher, won't go higher. Uh, the average return on a one-month, three-month, and six-month basis following this kind of development is about 80 basis points, uh, 3.15% and 5.9% respectively. So, uh, you know, indicators are positive, 
this is another kind of indicator or a talking point with clients that you might have to go through if they're worried about things. Um, so, you know, we may expect things to continue to go higher. Yeah, I mean, being overbought is just indicative of a good bull market, right? I mean, if you think about last year, to your point, you know, what did you say? It was March 1st, 2017 that we, yep. last time we broke about 40%? It was. Um, that's typically kind of the, typically a peak where you see that indicator. Because, again, Tommy pointed out, it's the average level across, you know, those 500 stocks. And, you know, the S&P 500 managed to rally another three and a half, almost 3.5%. Um, the following six months from March 1st, 2017 to September 1st, 2017. So you can reach that overbought condition and yet you can continue to move higher. Um, and I guess you bring up a good point, Tommy, too, is that you know the trading bands, they, they normalize a couple of different ways, right? It could be a classic pullback, right? Mm-hmm. So if we saw the S&P 500 pullback today or maybe even yesterday, uh, what would it take for it to go to the middle of the 10-week trading band? 5%. Right, 5%. And that band is still pretty tight because we haven't seen a lot of volatility. Um, so you can see a pullback, which can take you know the market back to a more normally distributed reading. Um, you can also just see the band normalize, right? If as we continue to ratchet up higher, what's going to happen in that band? It's going to move higher, higher as well. Higher. Um, and of course, you know you would see it kind of you know pull back, or not necessarily pull back, but that that level will normalize. And you know that's historically what we've seen lately in this market, where there hasn't been a lot of volatility. What was it? You guys did a study. Uh, we put in the war you wear saying, you know, 2017 was one of the least, you know, volatile years since, what, 1995? Yeah. No, further back than that. We looked back. So the, the premise of the study that we were putting together was looking at the daily returns of the S&P 500 and really measuring the percentage of trading days that were within that plus or minus 1% right. band. And what we found out was in, in 2017, 97% of all those trading days of the 251, I think there were, mm-hmm. total we're within plus or minus 1%. And the last time we saw a reading of 97, 98, or even 99 was 1964. Wow. Prior to that, there was a reading of about 96% in 1976, but we have to go all the way back to the mid-60s to see a time in which volatility, you know, at least from the perspective of S&P returns, right. being that low. Um, so it's definitely eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, and it's, not, and it's not just weekly distribution, too. I mean, if you look at... Um, just the breadth indicators, right? And you know, Tommy and David, we track all these indicators. They all kind of measure different, you know, kind of types of technical characteristics. Some is, you know, overbought, oversold with weekly distribution. You know, some is participation, which is our yeah. buy signals or BP indicators. Um, you know, another one is kind of our moving average indicators. And moving average is, is just tracking, you know, how uh, stock current price is trading relative to its historical moving average over a certain time period, right? It's classic momentum. Right. If, if you see a stock price trading above, you know, a ten-week moving average or a forty-week moving average, that essentially means that that price is rising. And, and if we look at, let's say, our ten-week indicators, which measures the percent of stocks in a universe that are trading above their ten-week moving averages, you know, a lot of those indicators are overbought, right? Because the majority of these stocks are trading above their their shorter-term ten-week moving averages. There are really only a few exceptions, and that is real estate. And utilities, mm-hmm. electric utilities. I mean, if we are looking for areas that are underperforming, um, that are washed out or washed up, whatever you want to call it, oversold, um, it's really those two areas. Everything else in the market, uh, at least with respect to U.S. equities from a sector standpoint, is on the far right side of the curve looking at these 10-week um, bell curves. You know, steel, gaming, aerospace, oil service, you know, those are sectors where over 88% of stocks are their 10-week moving averages. Mm-hmm. Wow. But one thing that you do also see with that, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, is you can utilize the asset class group scores page, and you can see that there is still some more headroom. 
uh, historically speaking, for some of these sectors or you know categories like emerging markets diversified, where yes, you are in overbought levels. Yes, it is bolded, letting you know it's kind of extreme, quote unquote. But you still do have some headroom, which could mean further prices. So walk me through that, Tommy. What is that? I mean, when you're looking at the asset class group scores and you're talking about headroom and you're talking about the overbought, oversold readings, you know, when someone pulls up the asset class group scores page, what are they looking at, right? When they're focusing on that percent LBOS level, what does that mean? So that's looking throughout our database, and it's looking at all the mutual funds and all the ETFs that are respective to the specific group. So when you pull up the main page, it's going to show you macro or the macro type asset classes. And emerging markets diversified will be the top one there. And so what that's doing is it's taking, like I said, all ETFs, mutual funds in the database, and it's plotting their average weekly distribution or overbought, oversold, which right now is about 137. Um, And historically, we've seen that hit 250, 200. So that's kind of what I mean, where there is headroom despite it being an extreme overbought territory. So we can continue to see these groups continue to move higher, rise in price, and, and get more overbought, right? Right. That, that can happen. And you know what's interesting, too, is that you, know, you mentioned emerging markets. Uh, has the highest score out of the macro groups. And if you look at you know some of the, the groups within the international equity space that are doing well, China and India. Yeah, Asia, for sure. Asia. And if you look at just like you know the macro groups as well, and you rank them not by score – but by percent OBOS, the number one group in terms of what is the most overbought macro group is the S&P 500 index funds group, which is comprised of S&P 500 related mutual funds and ETFs, uh, 151% overbought. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you're not, you typically don't see as extreme overbought, oversold readings with this group like you do with emerging markets. Uh, we tend to see it cap out. Um, at that 150 level, you know, we talked about late February, early March being a, a recent example. You have to go back to, um, you know, maybe early 2011 when we were up above 150 uh, percent, and then if you go back to when we really first started tracking this data, you know, January 2004 mm-hmm. was when we saw the S&P 100 index group really get above 200 percent. And as you look, you can any of those links on that table there, they are, or any of those values are links. You can track. Uh, the histories of those those ratings and, and those you metrics. compare and contrast them too uh, with the menu on the left hand side and you know part of the also the discussion you know things ever bought low volatility and whatnot you know when you're looking at point and figure charts you're going to see things that just look like they're going straight up and so one thing that we recommend people do is look at things on a smaller scale to kind of zoom in on the camera a little bit, pick up some more action so they can find entry points and not be intimidated that you're looking at a flagpole or a stem and you can see pullbacks happening and ways to gain entry. Well, I think a lot of the way, a lot of times, you know, you bring up the entry point thing, but you also touched on the pullback. I think often cases when people see these long columns of X's on, on a point and figure chart, it's an immediate just move away because the first thought is, oh, there's no support close by. And that's not the case. It's not it, – it, 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 as we were noting, it depends on the scale that you're looking at. Looking at these more sensitive scales, for me, the value comes in knowing that I have additional support levels, mm-hmm. you know, in between a certain price range. Or maybe it is, you know, 5 or 10% to, to the next support level in the default chart. But then on the quarter point per box chart, you may have a support level that's a dollar away or $4. But whatever it may be right. – Point being is that that for me is where I find a lot of the value in utilizing those smaller scales. And it's all about perspective. It's not that you have to go and say, oh, well, the default chart's extended, so I'm not going to make any decisions based off of that technical picture. That's not the case. It's all about gaining the perspective of, okay, well, I've definitely seen price move higher. 
Now, where might I have some support levels in a more granular aspect? And where can I gain perspective by looking at these smaller scales? So you talk about perspective. One example of that would be, you know, look at SPY. If you look at the default chart, it's about 100 points till your next level of support. If you look at, um, say, a one point per box chart using the, all the other scales on the left-hand side, it's about 14 points. Mm-hmm. Very, very different uh, in terms of the nearest support. Because right, with the point figure methodology, you know, we're not tracking you know, price over any certain time period. So a lot of other you know, forms of, of technical charts, you know, if you want to adjust the sensitivity of a chart, what do you do? You adjust the time adjust frame, time. right? right? Yeah. Whether you're looking at a daily tick data or monthly or hourly or every 15 minutes. So with the point and figure methodology, at least the way that we track it and apply it, uh, we adjust the sensitivity by adjusting the box size, right? It's the price, right? That's what we adjust. So if, you know, if we want to make a chart more sensitive, Right, so we're able to identify kind of you know important support or resistance levels. You know, especially with this type of market where you look at the SPY, it's just a straight stem up. You don't have a lot of support, at least near-term support. So you you know basically um, increase the sensitivity by making that box size smaller. So you're going to add more volatility, more change to that chart. And it's an important exercise to do, especially in this type of market. Um, you know, for mutual funds, we have you know three primary scales: short-term, intermediate, long-term. So if you, you know, are you know operating in that in the mutual fund space. You know, and you're using our charts. If you want to see something more sensitive, what do you do? You press short term, right? right. Uh, if you're looking at a default chart for a stock that's a one dollar box size, you know, look at the the fifty point chart, fifty cent chart, a twenty five cent chart. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a really good point. Now, with the smart chart, you can do that as well, right? Right. Yeah, right. where you're able to customize it and, and change. If we don't have a box size on the left hand side, hit smart chart. And you're able to adjust the box you size. You can there. name whatever box size you please to, yeah. to, to look at it within Smart Chart. So that's where we stand today, right? A lot of the indicators are fairly overbought. That's still a good sign. It's a bullish sign. It's a healthy market. A lot of areas are participating. Um, what are those areas, right? If we are looking to allocate new money today, guys, you know, where are we going? Where are those areas that offer strength, that offer opportunity across the board? I mean, in many cases, it's been the sectors that we saw carry much of that relative as well as absolute leadership in 2017. It's your technology. Um, your financials here recently, more specifically, banks have been kind of the big mover and shaker. Um, but, you know, industrials being in other places as well. Those have been the big drivers. I mean, yeah. those are where we, we really continue to look and zero in our focus. I mean, there's definitely been questions of folks coming in. And I know you, we were talking about it earlier of, you know, somebody asking, well, what do we think of energy? It's mm-hmm. near-term improvement, but nothing that is that, that has been in place like we've seen in tech, like we've seen in industrials, like we've seen out of financials and things like that. Yeah, so you bring up a good point. Energy, right? I mean, you know, Tommy, you track the commodity side. David, you're looking at commodity and equity side. And then Daily Equity Report, we just did a feature kind of, you know, we're seeing some near-term improvement in energy. Where is it coming from within the energy space? You know, energy's not there yet. It's not favored, but we are seeing some improvement. Where yeah. exactly is that coming from? And really within the energy space specifically, very near term, it has been oil. Okay. To AT, it has been oil. As well um, as oil service. Yeah. Yep. I'd say both of those two. Well, we're talking equity or commodity perspective here. Well, that's <laughs> totally that's both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting, you know, being on the road last week, I mean, that was one of the number one questions I received from advisors was, hey, I understand what's going on in the U.S. equity market. I understand what's favored internationally. What's going on with energy, right? Mm-hmm. Is it back? And, you know, my answer was not yet, yeah. right? Because if you look at Dolly, it's not there. If you look at the commodity matrices, it's not there yet. You still see some precious metals ranked above it and industrial metals too, what we, you and I talked about in the video yesterday. But, um, you know, what are some kind of areas in the oil service space and the equity side that are improving? Um, you know, what are some areas within the commodity side? Is it strictly just the, the physical commodity itself? But, or are we seeing some of the, the equities get back too? 
You've definitely spotted some of the equities. Um, you know, one of the, one of the charts that I've kept an eye on quite a bit from the energy perspective is CVX. Okay. Um, so Chevron, it, it's definitely been a chart that even through much of the quote unquote turmoil that that oil or energy went through in 2017, it held up. Its chart has looked great since you know really since moving back into a positive trend back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's still a three for five, or it's dropped off a little bit from being a five for five, but. It's part of our, you know, DWA yield portfolio. It kicks off about a three percent yield. So there's definitely opportunity within stocks like a Chevron or another one I was looking at earlier. Um, I believe it's Marathon symbol MRO. Marathon um, Petroleum MPC is one of my favorites. That's one of your favorites. Um, yeah. That's in the oil sector portfolio. One of our stock models uh, on the equity side. It's in the top ten of the favorite oil sector now. Four for fiver. Uh, just looks great. It was able to kind of be an outlier as of last year because it never broke its positive trend line. It always stayed above that bullish support line, and you've really seen it break out uh, in Q4 of last year. And it's important because you know if we look at the big three right now, based on our, our sector guidance, whether it's a model or Dolly, you know it's it's technology, it's financials, it's industrials, um, but we are seeing some other sectors participate. Right there mm-hmm. is that breadth and. Um, I think, you know, to your point, Tommy, it's a, a good point for um, some individual stock exposure, mm-hmm. right? Stock selection, um, you're seeing some of these areas diverge, uh, whether it's in you know, pockets of energy um, or some other sectors. You are seeing energy on the asset class group scores page. Their average score has crossed back above three, uh, as Steve might have mentioned on the video on Monday, uh, or yesterday rather. And, and that is something we haven't seen since its collapse in February or March of 2017, uh, when it was on the rise and in, in the most improved, best performing sector of 2016. And so that is something that's a little bit notable for that sector as a whole. Yeah, what's important too is that you know if we you know we kind of are able to gauge that whether you know from a stock selection standpoint, uh, if you look at you know ETFs, right? You know there's you know a hundred different ways to play energy. Uh, there's tons of different index st- styles, right? You have mm-hmm. passive, you have some of the more enhanced multi-factor smart beta ones. And, and right now, if you look at the energy space, some of the multi-factor energy ETFs um, are scoring above the cap weighted, uh, which I, I think is a good sign for this sector and it's something that we're paying attention to that the opportunity is there. But again, you know, we don't really want to um, allocate away from the big three, big four. Um, and again, those being technology, financial, industrial. But if you are looking for some opportunities, there is some evidence that we're seeing that sector to rise up as well. Well, it's yes, interesting. So the- on if you look at the broad sectors, the Dorsey Wright broad sectors, um, I've I have a quilt set up called DWA Broad. So it looks at the broad eleven uh, sectors for the ETFs that we have um, with the power shares lineup. And energy is the, the top performing ETF within those eleven uh, this year, up about five percent. Um, another kind of interesting development is you're seeing similar trends in what's outperforming the market on a factor level. Um, one of the big changes so far this year, while albeit short, is you're seeing growth and value be the top two factors. Interesting, yeah. So that was a good overview. Now, as we close this podcast, you know, I want to talk about you know, a tool on the website, right? Because, again, we're constantly adding new tools to the website, improving them, enhancing them. And you brought up a good one. The quilt. How does someone access the quilt on our website? There are a couple different ways. My favorite way to access it is the easiest way, um, and that you can <laughs> go through either 
any anywhere you can access the performance tool. So whether that's through a portfolio or an individual point and figure chart, if you go to the performance tool and pull it up, uh, you can click the send to quilt button and it will show you a quilt going back 10 years. And we're going to be adding more functionality to the quilt throughout the course of 2018. Um, so this is something you can talk with with your clients. You can show them how things move in and out, whether it's a sector, whether it's a asset class, so on and so forth. Um, and it's something that I like to keep track of, whether it's sector performance, whether it's factor performance, anything like that. Well, they create great visuals. Right. You know, and I'm personally, I'm a visual learner. I learn better when I see things. I understand better when I see things. And a lot of times when I've talked to folks about how do you utilize these quilts, it's like you said, you know, talking about relative strength and its rotation and how we're able to guide and move into, you know, the different areas. Taking a quilt, showing performance and putting it in front of a client and talking about that rotation where they're able to see different things perform well as well as underperform, it, it's such an eye-opening experience. And, you know, it, it's definitely, I know you use the tool a lot, Tommy. I use it a boatload. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than trying to get it through the performance tool, you can also find it in the create a quilt section of the links of interest box. But as Tommy noted, using the performance tool is a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, now. definitely the most direct. So again, um, you can access it at the performance link. Any chart you're viewing, press performance, you can access the create a, or send a quilt feature there. Uh, it certainly is powerful. Uh, and also you mentioned the widget, right? Um, a lot of the, the tools, um, bells and whistles on our website are available with the links of interest widget. Uh, which you're able to customize, and the Create a Quilt tool is there. And, and the cool thing about the quilts is you can save them. So I don't have to go in and try to recreate them all the time. I can just go in and say, Smart Beta Quilt, put my seven factors in there with a the benchmark and save it. I can view it whenever I want. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, everyone have a, a great rest of the week. Stay warm if you're on the East Coast. Um, and safe driving. Those roads are icy out there. Um, especially up and down the I-95 corridor. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week.